This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Breaking Pod, everybody. We are here with another episode, Season 3, Episode 8, titled I See You. As always, I am joined by my co-host, co-founder of this podcast, as well as the entire Vernacular Podcast Network, Zach Crippen. Zach, how are you? I'm doing well. I cannot take credit for being the co-founder of the entire network if you're also meaning that I co-founded the podcast. That, is the, that, is, that belongs That's to true. you and Maureen only. Well, well, you 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 created the whole network that we are under the umbrella of. Okay, that's fair. I'll accept that. With 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 Sally, of course. Don't want to leave her out. Definitely not. I mean, my better half. Exactly. My creative exactly. inspiration. Well, that's a good. That's a pretty good uh, segue to <laughs> this episode where we're going to talk about the better half of of Hank, Hank Schrader. Right. I I Hank, love Marie. I mean, she's great, isn't she? She's like she is great. She's such a flawed character, right? She's a kleptomaniac. She is. Uh, a sociopathic liar, uh, very selfish at points at least. And then you get these like really tender moments where she really just deeply, genuinely loves her husband, uh, despite all of his flaws, because Hank's not a perfect guy, right? And he's not always nice to her, but she deeply, deeply loves him. And she really does care about the people close to her in her life. She's just, she's a lovely character and I really, I like her a lot. Well, I think what's great about Marie as a character is that she does feel like a well-rounded person. Like, not not everybody's perfect. No human is perfect. So, certainly, we all have our flaws. And, you know, I think what's great about her is is that love she does show for her family. Because, ultimately, love and care for other people is one of the most important things you can have in this world. And and she shows that in spades, which I think is great. Yeah. And she is, of course, uh, a big part of this episode because you'll remember at the end of season three, episode seven, Hank was very badly injured mm, not in good. a shootout with uh, Tuco's cousins. And now he is in the hospital. So I think badly injured understates how how bad that critically was. Critically injured. <laughs> Cri- like Critically like injured. Pushed to the very brink of death. <laughs> Yeah, it's bad. It's a bad scene. In which case, I do have a huge nit to pick. I might as well just give this to you now yeah, because let's do it. the beginning of this episode starts with Jesse leaving the hospital and Hank coming in. And Jesse, of course, sees this. He has a very interesting evil reaction where he's gleeful that Hank has been wounded so badly. But my nit to pick with this scene is that basically the ambulance r- rolls up quickly to the ER and the paramedics just sort of lollygag out. They, they're barely moving the, the, the stretcher. It's like they're barely moving. This guy's got four gunshot wounds and is bleeding out, and they're not even moving quickly. I don't know what that's about. So I would agree with your nit, except for the fact that I have a, a personal story that bears a remarkable parallel, and that's that I was um, once involved in this, uh, this training event. This is back in my military days. And someone collapsed on the running track. And uh, myself and one other person, uh, so I basically caught her as she was collapsing, right? And then myself and one other person started to check vitals, right? Like, can we feel a pulse, right? Is she breathing? You know, the basic ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. Yeah. And uh, we got to a point where we, we, well, first of all, we were like, someone call help, right? And so uh, someone called an ambulance, called paramedics. First of all, it took them a very long time to get there. Uh, And... um. As they were arriving, basically, we lost a pulse. Now, like on, on later reflection, you know, as we were talking about it, we, uh, we think that 
um, it was just cold. And so our fingers were too cold to feel a pulse, right? But yeah. better safe than sorry. So you do chest compressions, right? So you administer CPR. Uh, and like we're, we're literally like starting chest compressions and doing that uh, as the paramedics are walking up. And they're just, they're just walking. Like they show no signs of hurrying at all. We're like, we're, we're trying to prevent this person from possibly dying. In our view, again, I think, uh, you know, on later analysis, like she ended up being totally fine. Hospital checked her out within a few hours, you know, heart checked out good, lungs checked out good, all that stuff. I think it was just like severe dehydration and exhaustion. And uh, we couldn't find the pulse because it was cold. But uh, the paramedics were just totally unconcerned uh, for and they didn't know the background. Like for all they know, this person could have been like literally dead on the track or close to it. And they were just walking up walking up and then the well, weird why? thing was i don't know the weird thing was as soon as they walked up they were like stop compressions and we were like why are we going to stop if <laughs> like if this is keeping her alive why would we stop compressions that makes no sense so it'd um, be one thing if they were running up and being like stop we'll take over or we'll <laughs> examine her but if they're just walking up like they're you know like just in another day in the park that's yeah, silly yeah very silly uh very strange don't understand it i am very glad that she was okay uh yeah but it was i was not happy with paramedics on that day uh, I'm sure there are lots of great paramedics who do hurry and uh, are diligent. These were not one of them. And I guess the ones that were handling Hank's intake were also not too, uh, not too concerned. So anyway, I digress. Yeah. We've already spent a lot of time talking about that, but that's my personal story that kind of mirrors this one. Okay, well, then there you go. Maybe my nit to pick is with uh, the slow paramedics in the world. <laughs> All right, so we should kick things off with our two-minute summary, our Wikipedia summary. I will go ahead and give that a read, and then we will give our letter grade for how this one is written. The two-minute summary reads, As Jesse is leaving the hospital, after Hank's attack on him, he sees Hank being admitted in critical condition with four gunshot wounds. Hank's wife, Marie, lashes out at Hank's boss and partner when she hears they had taken his gun away, leaving him defenseless. She is also angry at Walt, whom she blames for getting Hank on Jesse Pinkman's case in the first place. Back at his new underground lab, Walt has to tell Gail that he is no longer required. With Walt spending his free time at the hospital, Jesse is left on his own in the lab, whose equipment he is unfamiliar with, and he becomes worried about, their meeting, about meeting their quota. At the hospital, Walt sees one of the Mexican cousins recovering from his wounds and realizes they were probably after him as well. However, Mike poisons and kills the cousin later. Gus decides to pay a visit to the hospital, and Walt soon learns that Gus has known for a while that Hank is his brother-in-law. During a phone conversation with Gus, drug lord Juan Bolsa is shot in his home. Zach, this one is pretty bad. What letter grade do you give this one? So I was actually going to say that this is one of the better ones we've seen. I think it captures all the high points. I mean, it's it's not written superbly, uh, but it's it's okay. I would say B minus for this one. Wow. Okay. This is this is going to be our I think our first big point of disagreement. I give this one a D D plus. Oh wow. Okay. D plus. And the reason the reason is because the sequence of events is out of order. Yeah. And I agreed. think that matters here because we hear about. Hank getting shot, we hear about Marie lashing out at Walt, and then we hear about Walt letting Gus letting Gale go. That sequence of events would make no sense and it would actually make Walt seem more callous than he actually is. So yeah. all of that stuff with Gale happens before he knows that Hank has been in the hospital. So and it's actually a really funny scene. He's letting Gale go and Gale's like, "Did did you find someone else who's better than me?" And then Jesse walks in and he's like, <laughs> "Oh man, look at this place. This place is awesome." And he's like, "You've got to be kidding me." You know, and it's like that scene is great, but it's only it's great because scene. 
because Walt doesn't know that Hank is in critical condition. And I think that that is important here because Walt is a bad guy. He's getting well, worse cause, cause as the season goes on. Just to interject, it's Jesse then who says, yo, you're right. here. And he's like, you haven't checked your phone. And that's yeah, when Walt exactly. realizes, yeah, something happened. So I think that the sequence of events is is off here. And, you know, I think that there's some other, I think the writing is the other reason that that this sort of goes down. And I think this whole this whole last sentence, during a phone conversation with Gus, drug lord Juan Bolsa is shot in his home. There's no context for that. If you have no idea who that is, and it's not even super clear in the show, like you know that he's involved in the drug trade, but yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. That was gonna be my retort, is that like, the show doesn't make it totally clear who that is. So it's, it's almost appearing without context there too. I mean, you've seen Juan Bolsa talk with Gus before, right? So he's somehow involved as a supplier, we assume. So right. I guess well, the sentence could We've at least that. seen him in the show. We, we have not heard him mentioned in a summary yet. So to have him just show up all of a sudden in episode eight is a little, uh, dis, you know, like disorienting. Sure. Yeah. But, but otherwise, uh, yeah, not my favorite summary. I can see your point. It does touch on the high points, just not in the right order. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Any broader thoughts and themes or should we just jump into best scene, best writing and best moment? Yeah, let's just jump into it. I think in this episode specifically, a lot of these kind of speak for themselves. So let's just dive in. Okay, so we'll start with uh, I think we should start with your best scene because it happens sequentially before before mine. But most of the action of this episode takes place in the hospital. They're waiting for for news about Hank. And and you've picked a scene here uh, and I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, so the first thing I'll say is honorable mention is the one you already talked about where Jesse's coming into the lab as Gus or as Gail's being let go. It, it's 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 very funny. Definitely the funniest scene in this episode. But yeah, so um, my best scene selection is from the hospital uh, as Walt is sitting there with Walter Jr. Walter Jr. obviously pretty broken up because Hank was a, a very good uncle, very close to him. Uh, Walt Jr. Clearly, look, clearly looked up to Hank as a father figure in many respects. And uh, Walt is there and he doesn't know what to say to Walter Jr. to comfort him. I mean, we know how kind of emotionally handicapped Walt is. And uh, and he is he sits next to Walter Jr. and notices that he has a book. And then he asks what the book is. Uncle Hank gave it to me. Well, what's it about? Uh Pablo Escobar, this big drug guy in, in the 80s. Yeah, I remember seeing him on the news. Well, it, it, it's, it's more about the guys who investigated him and tried to bring him down. So I like this for a couple of reasons. First of all, honorable mention to Narcos Season 1, which is a great, yeah, uh, great. A great, a great piece of filmmaking based on that book, Killing Pablo by, uh, by Mark Bowden. Um, or... I think I might have the, the, the name of the author wrong, but it's based on that book. Um, and uh, so honorable mention to that or shout out. But I like this scene. I mean, it, it seems like a pretty understated throwaway scene at first until you realize what's going on here. And that's that Walter Jr. is in the hospital mourning the near death of his father figure here. His biological father is in there trying to comfort him. And when he tries to stir up conversation, the only thing he can think of to ask Walter Jr. about is a book that Walter Jr. is holding that Hank gave to him all about how the DEA shut down one of the greatest drug kingpins in history, Pablo Escobar. And, uh, and we have the great Heisenberg who's sitting there trying to connect with his son, uh, you know, to, to foster a stronger connection than he has with, with Hank Schrader, who uh, we've seen him before sort of joust over uh, Walter Jr., you know, and, and who is, who's a better father figure to him. So 
Yeah, I like that deeper analysis, too, of the fact that that Hank really is the father figure for for Walt Jr. here. And and I do love I think I think it's a little on the nose that the book is like this. I mean, I'm glad it's a real book and that it's not just like a made up book for the show. Sure. But it's a little on the nose that like oh, he's reading this book about a drug lord who was taken down ultimately by, and maybe it's supposed to be foreshadowing. We don't know whether Walt will ultimately get taken down. I mean, you and I know because we've seen the whole series, but people who are watching it for the first time don't know. And But otherwise, I do like your your analysis that, that this really is emblematic of, you know, he's really in mourning right now because of his father figure and his real father's right there. And not doing a very good job of parenting. And yeah, and he's I a also, Pablo Escobar wannabe. Yeah, I also like how, how Walt is like, and maybe he's doing this to not draw as much suspicion, but he's like, oh, I, I remember seeing him on the news. It's <laughs> yeah, like, okay, Pablo Escobar <laughs> was huge. If you live through that time, and certainly now that we've had, you know, books and TV shows about him, you know, people have heard of Pablo Escobar. Yeah, it's, totally. It's a little more than I heard about him on the news one time. Yeah, that's a classic example of Walt playing dumb. Yeah. Uh, well, my best scene in in this episode is 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 my best scene not because it's it moves the plot forward, but just because of the dramatic tension that it provides. But basically, Gus comes to the hospital to bring free Los Pollos Hermanos to everybody. It looks so good, by the way. I think it's the beginning of the next episode where we see sort of the how the how the chicken is made, how the sausage is made, and it really does. It looks like so great, good. a great fast food restaurant. Yeah. Kind of wish it was real. I know, right? So so Gus brings, you know, there's all these DE agents and cops there who are donating blood and, and waiting for Hank to see what is going to happen to him. And Gus brings all this free food and he brings it personally. And uh, he then comes and sits down with the family, Walt and Walt Jr. and Skylar and Marie. And we're going to hear a little bit of that conversation here. Yes, thank you. Guys, did you hear that? Mr. Fring is offering a $10,000 reward on any information about the case. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Wow. Thank you, Mr. Fring. Oh, you're very welcome. Men like your husband are the thin blue line between us and these animals. I only wish I could do I think that the the thing that's great about this scene is is how cool Gus Fring is able to play it. He has so much more experience living in both worlds and how uncomfortable Walt looks throughout this whole scene. And of course, no one in his family picks up on it. Maybe Skylar, because she knows what he's involved in, but she doesn't know that Gus is this drug kingpin either. And and I just like that. I, I love moments in TV shows where we as the audience know more than the characters in the scene because it it amps the tension. And, you know, I just found it enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and I like it because, as you mentioned, there's there's kind of tiers of knowledge here, right? So we know how much Gus has orchestrated the whole thing. So we basically know yeah. the most of anyone except for Gus. We know what Gus knows. Uh, Walt knows about what he's involved in. And so he recognizes the tension and because he also knows what Gus, what Gus is involved in. But what he doesn't know is how much Gus has orchestrated what happened to Hank. He's, he's, he suspects, or at least now he's starting to suspect, uh, now that he knows Gus has known that Hank is a DEA agent, etc. Skyler knows something about what Walt is involved in, but has no idea about Gus, so she suspects like maybe there's some connection between Walt and Hank's, uh, the, you know, Hank's uh, uh, attempted murder. 
And then Marie just knows none of it. She just knows that her husband is a DEA agent. So there's just there's layers of complexity to this that I also really appreciate because it does it does enhance the dramatic tension so much. There's really if you look at that room, there's no two characters that are totally on the same page. Maybe Marie and Walter Jr. But but I don't know. I mean, I think Marie's probably a little bit more wizened about what's going on in Walter Jr. because she at least has some like idea of the kind of uh, marriage dynamics between between Walt and Skyler. But the bottom line is no two characters are totally on the same page. And I think it really amps up the tension. Yeah. And I picked that scene despite the fact that that Walt Jr. has a prominent role in it. And so, you know, anytime he speaks, sometimes I have to say, eh, I don't know if I can give you this best scene, but but it's OK. I gave it to it anyway. I mean, he does know about Pablo Escobar. So he knows that. That's right. The the he DEA stopped him. That's what he knows. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Should we move on to best writing? We both have the same one here. Yeah, let's do it. Since we both have the same one, I'll let you introduce it, Josh. Okay. So they are in the hospital. They're taking a food break in the cafeteria. And Marie gets very upset because she thinks the silverware is dirty. It turns out maybe it's just water spots. But, you know, she's very amped up because she wants to make sure the place where her husband is, is, is doing a good job. And Walt reminds her that this is the place where I had my surgery. And he goes on to tell the story. We're going to hear a little bit of that right here in an attempt to comfort Marie. And I will say that this is a very long monologue because one thing that Breaking Bad does very well is character monologues. Uh, I only captured a very small snippet of that just uh, just to uh, you know condense the podcast a little bit. I never wanted to be stuck in traffic so bad in my life. At least I was with my family. I had that. I survived this place. And I'm not half the man your husband is. So I think this is great because this is, it's almost in response to what we heard Hank say in the last episode. I was about to make that point, yeah. Yeah, that I'm not, I'm not the man who I thought I was. And here Walt is saying like, he's, he's not half the man you know, that Hank is. And and so I think that those two play together when you think about them uh, sequentially like that. The other thing that I thought about this, and I, I wanted to get your take on this, Zach, is do you think that that Walt is genuine here? Like, is he, was he really happy to be with his family there? Is he really hoping that he could spend more time with his family? I mean, I guess he thought maybe he was going to die in the surgery. So that could be why. But is there some level of genuineness to what he's saying here? Yeah, I actually think there is. Um, I tend to think, in general, with Walt, when we have those uh, flippant, um, kind of meandering monologues, that he's being disingenuous. And when we have the more deliberate, intense monologues, he's being genuine. So, you know, a lot of times when Scatter challenges him on something, he'll like make up some excuse and then just keep, you know, it, it was the funniest thing I, I forgot, you know, and you can just <laughs> kind of tell. Right. But but yeah, this is, yeah, I think, yeah. one of his serious monologues. And I think he is being genuine here. I think he is telling the truth. What do you think? Yeah, I thought the same thing. I, You know, I think that I think this is important for him as a character, because for us as an audience, we can't see him be completely and utterly despicable we need to have these moments where we still believe that he cares for the people around him otherwise he truly is this like black and white i'm only doing this because i I like to be bad or i want the money we need to know that there are moments of humanity in him even if they're dwindling as the series goes on 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Well said. Well said. All right, well, let's move on to best moment before we get into any nits to pick and then our MVP. We both have uh, small moments here. I'll let you do yours first. I think yours is a more fun moment, but it might have a deeper meaning too. No, there's uh, there, I don't think there's any deeper meaning here. Uh, it's just it's just funny. And in fact, when I saw your best moment, I was like, oh, I totally forgot that happened. And that is a really good moment. So I think it's a great choice. Um, yeah, so my best moment is just <laughs> that scene where uh, Jesse is trying to occupy himself in the chem lab. Uh, he finds the uh, compressed air and then he realizes that he can uh, kind of seal his own chem bodysuit uh, and then inflate it. So he's walking around like the Michelin man. And then Victor, who is kind of <laughs> Gus's um, production right hand man, supply chain right hand man, uh, just walks in on Jesse as he's <laughs> as he's looking like the Michelin man. Uh, and it's just a hilarious scene because Victor doesn't even say anything uh, except, I think, why aren't you cooking? I think that's what he, but he, he doesn't acknowledge the, uh, inflated suit. <clears throat> and then Jesse's really embarrassed and doesn't know what to do about it and tries to push all the air out rapidly. And it's, it, it makes it even funnier. So that's my best moment. Yeah. I think, I think the only deeper meaning here is it's showing the audience that Jesse really has no business being there. And, and it's showing, you know, Gus's main man or, or right-hand man or whoever his enforcer that he has no business being there and i think that you know had he shown up and there was no one there or jesse was just sitting in a chair he would have a different reaction you know and i think that this just all goes to show that that walt is really putting you know his reputation with gus on the line by keeping jesse involved at all at this point yeah i think that's right and one thing we haven't talked about and maybe we can just real quickly here is why does Walt do that? Why does Walt bring Jesse back in? Uh, I think the leading theory, the most plausible one, is to prevent Jesse from pressing charges against Hank, right? Because that's basically what Skyler, uh, what Skyler suggests, right? Like, is there any way to stop him from pressing charges? And Walt thinks the only way is yeah. money, and I can basically buy him off by promising to make him an equal partner in my enterprise here, et cetera. Um, but I also think, you know, maybe there's maybe there's something about him just feeling bad about Jesse getting the sword and the stick here. Maybe there's something, you know, when he was working with Gail, uh, Gail was more like Walt's intellectual equal. And I think he didn't like that. Um, you know, it was nice that Gail introduced him to the work of Walt Whitman. But I think Walt wants to work with uh, Jesse, who is the you know one time high school student who failed high school chemistry and uh, just does what Walt says now. So. Uh, real quick, we can move on and wrap this up, but what's, what's your leading hypothesis for why Walt insisted to bring Jesse back, you know, even to the point of like sticking his neck out to Gus, uh, saying that Jesse is the right guy for this. Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of, of both. And I think initially it may have been just to, to sort of buy Jesse off, you know, so that he wasn't going to press charges. But I think the idea that he wants to be in charge is probably the, the main reason why he wants to keep Jesse involved. And it actually leads uh, pretty nicely into my best moment for this episode. So this is a moment where they're sitting in the waiting room in the hospital and there is a coffee table that is having hold some magazines that is wobbly has a has a shortened leg and walt sort of very calmly there you know marie and skylar and walt jr seem very uh, concerned because hank is in surgery they don't know what's happening with him and walt takes a, one of those little advertisement postcards out of the magazine and he folds it up until he is able to balance the table and the reason that i picked this as my best moment is because it's so perfect to capture the character of Walt in just a moment. First, he's seemingly unconcerned about his brother-in-law 
at the moment. You know, he's able to concentrate on something else. But what he concentrates on is something that he can fix and something that he can be in control of. So him folding up that little card allows him to be in control of the table, make sure it doesn't wobble. And I think that that's ultimately what Walt is pushing for. We've talked about it for, you know, three and a half, two and a half seasons now up to this point that Walt wants to be in control. And anytime he has the opportunity to to do that, he will take it. Yeah, good analysis. I mean, this is the guy who cuts the crusts off his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? So, yeah. Uh, and what's wrong with crust? I don't. It's, there's nothing wrong with. I that. actually like it. It's one of my favorite parts yeah, of the sandwich. You're, you're getting rid of more bread, and more bread is never exactly. bad. Exactly, and it's that golden brown bread that's just exactly. got the perfect, perfect uh, finish to it. Exactly. All right. Do you have any nits to pick before we wrap up this episode? Yeah, just one. Uh, that scene where the where the. Uh, DEA agents are with Walt and looking in on the surviving hitman. Uh, and then the hitman looks over and locks eyes with Walt and realizes like, oh, it's Walt. And then he just <laughs> looks really insane. And then he crawls out of bed without legs and just falls on the ground and leaves this trail of blood behind him. It's just totally over the top and a bit macabre and just, um, yeah, just unnecessary, I think. It's pretty terrible. And I, and I wonder... Did he lose the ability to speak? Could he not have said, that's Walter White, that's Heisenberg? And and sort of, I mean, the whole thing was well, just... Yeah, and, and even if he said it in Spanish, Steve Gomez was right there, so he exactly. would hear it. Steve Gomez, back from El Paso, ready to arrest Walt right there. Okay, so I, I just have a couple of other nitpicks. I already gave my one about the lollygagging paramedics. Um, the other one that I have here, is it just me or does Walt, Jr., look about 10 years older than he's looked in previous episodes. I mean, I know the oh, actor yeah, didn't even notice. Was, was growing up, but he all of a sudden just looks like a full-fledged adult. <laughs> and that's so silly to me. <laughs> so Walt Kama Jr. aging quickly. That's always a problem with kids on shows. Totally. They, they grow way quicker than, than you would want them to. Yep. Okay, my other, my other nitpick here, Walt and Gus have another very serious business conversation this time even worse than the last knit I had to pick where they had it in the middle of an open restaurant. This time they are in the middle of a room full of DEA agents and cops. I do not understand what is happening here. Gus, the most careful person who breaks cell phones after he talks to people he doesn't want other people to know about, he's having this conversation. I don't understand it. Yeah, I also don't understand it. It is kind of strange. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit too detailed for what's going on. I mean, yeah. he does say, what does he say? Like, you know, now smile and thank me and walk away yeah. or something like he tries to control it a little bit, but he yeah. still engages in way more detail than I'd be comfortable engaging in in front exactly. of a bunch of DEA agents. Yeah. My last nit to pick here is Skylar, Walt, Walt Jr., Marie. They've been at the hospital for a long time. Walt does leave to go get some stuff at some point. But, you know, they mentioned sort of just randomly that Holly, the baby, is at home with a babysitter. But they've definitely been gone for more than a day at this point. There's, <laughs> there's no mention of the baby. It's like Walt doesn't even say, I'll check on Holly when I go home. It's just like, well, hope she's okay with this random babysitter who's now staying in our home. Yeah, this is my favorite kind of nit that uh, parents always pick up on. Like yeah, when, exactly. when there are babies and the babies are just like afterthoughts or add-ons to the plot. You yep. can tell that the, uh, you know, the, the show's writers or directors are if not not parents at all they're at least far removed from the days of being a parent of young ones because yeah. parents parents of young kids know 
like your kids are not going to be able to go for a few hours, more than a few hours without you there. You know, like a babysitter is not going to be able to take your kids on an overnighter if they're four months old. Exactly. It's always a problem in sitcoms, but I noticed it here and it's it's particularly bad. All right, Zach, let's wrap up this episode with our MVP pick. I will throw it to you first. Who is your pick for MVP in this episode? Let's see. Uh, lots of choices here. Um, I think. I think. I'm going to go with Walt. Okay. We good had choice. the uh, we had the conversation in the hospital that was the winner of our best writing award. We uh, we have the conversation w- between him and his son about killing Pablo. And then we have those dramatic uh, scenes with him and Gus. So, um, yeah, I think I'll go with Walt. How about you? Yeah, this one's pretty spread out. There's there's a lot of choices here. I'm actually going to give it to Marie. Um, I think that she has a couple moments in this episode. Uh, I love her reaction to um, to Steve Gomez and whoever the DA boss is at the beginning. And I love that how she plays that. It, it, it's it's totally irrational. Like she's throwing them out because they took his gun away, even though ultimately that was Hank's fault. But that is so true and to life. And it was just that, department policy, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's just true to life that when something tragic happens, you look for someone to blame. And I think that she played it super well in this episode. So she will get my vote for this episode. In in one, I think multiple people can get it, except for Walt Kama Jr. He obviously had no choice, no chance <laughs> at all. Uh, and he will never, never get my MVP vote. I'm going to change him in our table to Walt Kama Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast. Yeah, perfect. Because that's how Wikipedia likes to that's right. uh, list him out. All right. So that leaves Walt in the lead now with 13 points in the MVP vote, trailed just behind by Jesse with 12 and then Skyler's in third place with nine. Everybody else has a smattering uh, in the two to four range. So except for Walt Comet Jr., obviously zero, Zilch never. Zach, anything else on this episode? I see you. Nope, that's it. I think we did a good job, Josh. All right, so this will wrap up season three, episode eight, I see you. We will be back next week with season three, episode nine, Kafka-esque. If there's anything we missed, please reach out to us at breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. Until then, I'm Josh. And I'm Zach. Have a great week. 